I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast. A podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, years ago, Darren Hinch wrote a book which unexpectedly became a bestseller, The Darren Hinch Diet Book. It concentrated on soup for dinner. It worked. This year, on a New Year health kick, he launched the mythical Goya Club, an acronym for Get Off Your Ass. He started walking five kilometres a day and in 40 weeks has lost 13 kilos. Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life yet again. Mr Tardio, good afternoon, evening, we're, we're morning, gonna, whatever. We're going to talk about our, our health. I'm, yeah. I mean, I hear this all the time, and as you get older, you, you, you do believe this, and that is that uh, you can have all the riches in the world. You know, you can have houses here, there, whatever. you can fly around, but if you don't have your health, you're struggling. And and you've struggled with health yourself, haven't you? Uh, oh, occasionally, yeah. But lobby on that issue, I was watching the watching a video recently of the uh, the Crown hearings in, in Sydney and here's James Packer, who's worth billions, and he looks terrible. I think he's had his stomach stapled at one stage and now he's he's huge. He was you know, he's sweating for a variety of reasons, but he did not look healthy at all. He's on this two hundred million dollar boat somewhere off Tahiti. And he doesn't look happy either. No, not happy, but then he, he's admitted to having mental problems and being bipolar and et cetera, et cetera. Look, I'm probably the last person who should be talking about health and how to get healthy, but um, in recent times I have changed my ways. I mean I I led a fairly decadent life of uh, you know, of long lunches and booze and whatever. And uh, uh, now, you, you had a pretty strong constitution. You could handle it, though, couldn't you? I mean, oh, you, yeah. You could have a session where you had lunch and you drank all afternoon into the night, and then you come back to work the next morning as if nothing had happened. Yeah, I get a five a.m. I never got hangovers, so so the next morning I'll. Which be is a dangerous thing, you know. It you don't because <laughs> when you suffer, you don't do that thing. Because well, I had I had a friend of mine who said to me, "Oh God," he said. I woke up the other morning, it was 8.30, and I had this terrible hangover, and I turned on the radio, and there you are, we've been out the night before together, and he said, there you are, blah, 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 bleeding away as if, as if nothing had changed. Uh, now, you it, reckon you'd trained yourself to be like that? I presume or, so. Or, or you just... There might be something in there, but I, um, I was very disciplined in that way. I mean, I... Uh, even if I if I got to bed at midnight and got five hours sleep, five and a quarter, I woke up every morning at 5.17... And it was 5.15 because I didn't know how to fix my what clock. It was meant to be 5.15, but it jumped past, so I just left it on. So I got every morning at 5.17, and that was it. But on, on health issues, you're quite right. As you get older, um, it's harder, supposedly, to lose weight. Uh, people get fall into bad habits. I, um, I'm happy to talk about it now because on, I spent last Christmas in Torquay. Had a, went down there for a, for a week. And I decided, as we all make New Year's resolutions, as we always do, and I call them um, FBFs, which means failed by February. So you make the you make the resolution on th- December 31, and by December, by February, you've stuffed it up. So this year, last year, I decided, no, I'm going to lose some weight. And so I uh, I launched what I call the, uh, the Goya Club, right, which is an acronym for Get Off Your Ass. And I decided I'd walk 
five k's a day, and I've now done more than forty weeks of this Goya Club. It's a mythical club, and people say, "How do you join?" I say, "If you have to ask, you're already a member." And I've got members in the U.S., in New Zealand, in in uh, Slovakia, in China. It's just hilarious. But I did. I didn't change my diet, uh, but I um, I just walked five k's a day, and in forty weeks, I lost three kilos. You know, and that's that's uh, more than twenty pounds. Thirteen kilos, you mean? No, I've, I've lost. No, I lost. Thirteen kilos. I went from I went from ninety six to eighty three. Yeah, uh, thirteen kilos. Yeah, 13. so that's, that's what were you doing at, at your heaviest in all of your life? In my heaviest, the, the, uh, before I went into hospital for my transplant, I weighed in the old terms about sixteen stone, uh, and that's um that's one hundred and four. I weighed one hundred and four kilos. I now weigh eighty three. And how did you get to that? Um, oh, weight? just by. Just by not paying attention, not doing exercise, eating and drinking. Um, I used to have a running gag saying that um, if my doctor told me to exercise, I had a good solution. I just changed doctors. <laughs> you know. Um, funny enough, I used to have a joke when people when I used to drink a lot. I used to have a joke. People would say, "But what about your liver?" And I'd say, oh, "My liver it died in 1964," and sadly, uh, it's partly partly true. You know. Um. Uh, how did you feel when you were that weight? I felt sadly. I felt good. You still had the same degree of energy. That yes, you I did. Always. In terms of work and whatever, you know, and uh, I still felt that. But um, uh, way back in the uh, when Dermot O'Brien was my producer and we were doing the Hinch program, that's when I launched. This is back in the nine nineties. I uh, I launched the Darren Hinch Diet, which is a, a diet book, which uh, was a very successful book. It uh, it sold more than fifty thousand copies. Uh, num- number one of the of this Daily Telegraph book selling list. We beat. I remember we beat Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf, whose book was the the beauty myth at that time, I think. And the the, the somebody said to me, and I wrote, the book was published by Penguin, so it was a reputable publishing house. They said, "How can you write your diet? How can you write a book about it? I mean, you can tell me your diet in thirty seconds." I said, just watch me. And I wrote 40,000 words on a diet, um, 50,000. But um, it was quite simple, and I still, I still adhere to it mainly. Uh, a few adjustments. Uh, it used to be fruit for breakfast, anything for lunch, but in smaller proportions than you usually have. So if you had 20 chips for lunch, have five. Uh, and then for dinner, you're allowed soup, glass of wine, and a bread roll, and I did that every night. And even now, now years, decades later, every night I have soup. I make it myself. I still make it myself, but now I make more vegetable soups than I used to. Um, for breakfast, instead of having um, fruit, I, have a, I start the day with a little bit of watermelon. And I used to, for a, several years, have a very Netherlands Dutch sort of breakfast of um, of a um, a pickle and cheese, you know. But now I, I have, um, I've been convinced that tomatoes are very good for you. So I now have um, sliced tomato with cracked pepper on half a slice of toast for breakfast. Now I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, gee, if I ate that, I would be starving <laughs> all day. All I'd be thinking about is roast chicken, this steak, or something. How do you have the discipline to just eat that? 
and not eat anything extra because you'd be hungry, I would have thought. Uh, no, I, I guess you, you, you train yourself out of it, you know. Um, sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes I, I mean, uh, occasionally I'll, I'll roast a chicken and have that over a couple of days, but because of my health, I'm, I'm always told to discard any food after 24 hours. So if I roast myself a chicken, I eat it that day, and maybe that night and next lunch, then I throw it away because I don't like it. But, I, you know, um, but soup, the soup you can have can be quite filling, you know. Um, and when I was in the old days, I used to make some soup, but I'd buy some commercial soup and throw some, like, tomato soup and throw some boiled rice into it or like something. Like a, a tin, tin soup or something. Yeah, yeah. So Italian would never do that, Dan. Yeah. Well, you got to make – when you make soup, you make it from the ground up. You yeah, don't well, buy it in a tin. Yeah, well, sometimes. Uh, for a long time, for a while there, I went through a stage, I'd have um, tomato soup for dinner served cold. I'd cook it and then oh, serve it yuck. cold, and that was my, my dinner for a while. But then What's I got convinced by friends that um, you need a lot more greens, and so now I, I do make my own soup, and uh, one of my favourites, I made it last week, I'll use fresh mushrooms, leeks, I find leeks are a great vegetable to use, uh, mushrooms, leeks, onion, sometimes some carrot, uh, sometimes some celery, uh, a lot of onion, and chop it all up, and I have a... Um, I have one of those soup maker machines, and I put some commercial chicken stock in it to give it some base. Um, but I got one of those commercial um, soup makers. You put it and pour it in there, and hit the the blend button, and it, it mixes mixes it all up into a beautiful thin soup. Well, that's how I like my soup. I don't like to have chunks of vegetables no, in there. I'd no. like to have it. Uh, so you're not a minestrone man. No, then. no, no, not at all. Uh, you, you know, your New Zealand background. Mm. Uh, Darren, New Zealanders have a lot of sheep. Mm. I mean, I, 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 I'm tipping, you know, lamb is something that you would have grown Lived up eating. On. We, we'd eat lamb seven days a week and uh, you'd have lamb chops almost every night and Sunday was a lamb roast. You know, that's what you had. Uh, you, lived, you lived on lamb um, and a very big red meat country. Um, I do remember as I was growing up and I moved away and when I went back to visit my parents, I managed to sneak some garlic salt onto their table and into their meal. They loved it. They would never have touched it in a fit, but we just sprinkled it in there. And then once my mother got a, um, an electric fry pan, that was the end of the oven. I mean, everything was cooked in a fry pan. But uh, and New Zealand's... Uh, the weirdest thing in New Zealand was... Now, your parents lived reasonably long lives. Too, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, my, my dad did. My mum died in the late 60s. My dad was 94. He used to say, 93, not out, not a bad innings, he would say. Um... But the, growing up in New Zealand, it's changed now, but we we would eat chicken once a year. It was such a delicacy. You'd never – when I first came to Australia and uh, went to my girlfriend's house and her mother served chicken on a Tuesday night, I thought, my God, they must be wealthy. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> we didn't have it. We have it once a year, sometimes maybe for Easter or sometimes at Christmas, but that was it. Which and, is odd because, you know, it would have been a rural community in New Zealand yeah. too. I mean, New Plymouth, where you grew up, is farmland, isn't it? That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could yeah. have chickens in your backyard. Yeah, but they didn't, yeah, but it wasn't, but they you grew them for the eggs. It wasn't until a guy called Graham Care who did a show called Cooking with Care. I remember uh, him, Graham yes. Graham Care. Uh, he, he came out to New Zealand from the British Air Force, I think, and he started this cooking show, and he became very famous around the world for this Cooking with Care. His name was spelled K-E-R-R. What, what is this thing that New Zealanders do when they cook in the ground? Oh, a hangy. 
Have you ever? Yeah, you ever yeah I'd had that? that. Yeah, it's, it's not that good. It's a, it's a Maori thing where they they bury they 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 make a big fire and then they bury bury the uh, the whole sheep or half a sheep it was stones hot stones in the ground and uh, it it can be reasonable but it's not it's not wonderful um but in case of graham care he couldn't believe that people who grew chooks would actually wouldn't kill them for food and then would also throw away the chicken livers he was the first person in new zealand to actually cook Chicken livers, because nobody used them, and he, he turned it into a, a friends of mine owned a, a, a chicken farm out in a place called Bell Block, and they suddenly chicken livers became their best selling thing, which had never happened before. They just they was called awful. Mm. Well, Italians from many generations never throw anything away. I mean, if they if they were to kill a pig, they'd even eat the ear, the mm. cheeks. Uh, you know the uh, the. Well, they used to claim that a, pig, that a pig's cheek was the most tender part of the yeah, of the pig, yeah, as I remember. Yeah. Uh, New Zealand also being a uh, an island or, or a couple of islands, mm. fishing seafood. Yeah, our seafood surely would, would have been yeah, something. But it it big should on have been more. I mean, we were just it was all lamb and sheep oriented. Not that much fishing going on. Um, the Maori people would 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 fish, but it was we, we were just we were red meat. Country and that's what you ate. That's what you did. Uh, when I was a young journo broke in Christchurch, we used to make um, stew almost every second night. We'd make it and keep it for a day, you know. And if you put a Belgian beer in it, you'd call it Belgian stew. If you put an English beer in, you'd call it English stew. You know, that was, we weren't right. variety. We weren't, yeah, variety. We weren't we weren't that clever, but but we, yeah, it was a huge meat eating country. I actually now call myself. I'm not a vegan. I'm, I'm I'm not a vegetarian. I'm a, what I call a vegetarian. So I'll eat some prawns and uh, sometimes a bit of fish. Um, I I do have a lot of vegan stuff though. I mean, I I eat a thing now called buttery, which is a uh, a, a vegan form of butter. You wouldn't know the difference, but it's not it's not dairy. Uh, so I eat that. Um, I I haven't eaten red meat like a steak for probably fifteen years. Uh, where, where do you get your you know what, what the, the whatever you get from meat. You know, uh, I, I, I have the I have the most expensive urine in Australia. I take a handful of vitamin pills every day. Uh, I, I take everything, um, uh, and, and I feel very fit fit for it. Uh, I, the only time I'd make an exception, probably in the last fifteen years, when I've actually had red meat, when I've had um, beef, would be if I'd gone to a Japanese restaurant and had a thing called shabu shabu. Which is very slight, finely sliced beef, as if it were almost paper thin, and it's put in seawater, uh, and uh, with, with with vegetables, and you cook it yourself. And uh, Jackie, Jackie Weaver used to hate it. She said, "If I go to a restaurant, I don't want to have to cook for myself." You know, <laughs> but I, I, we used to do that about once or twice a week. We used to enjoy doing that. The uh, the French have this thing where they they have raw meat where you put an egg on top of it. Uh, and it's like a mince sort of thing. You ever seen that at all? No, I have not. But I'm, I'm, I've never eaten raw meat before. Raw meat before, you know. The, uh, kangaroo. I've, have you ever eaten kangaroo? No, wouldn't. No, I did once on a dare try crocodile, which is very strange. It uh, it was a bit like a bit like a scented chicken. Yeah, I, I tried that once. Didn't didn't really like it, and have never eaten kangaroo, and, and never would. Um, 
Now, having been in America for years, Thanksgiving's a big thing. You would have eaten mm. turkey. Turkey, yeah. Quite, quite I think often. turkey's overrated. Well, what is it about Americans and turkeys anyway? Uh, well, two of them get get spared every Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, uh, the president sort uh, of... Uh, pardons one of them, you know, you know. Where does that come from? I don't know. But the thing is that turkey is, is it's usually overcooked. Uh, the legs are usually too big and too dry. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big, big, big fan of, of turkey. Uh, I do... I wrote, I do I do enjoy chicken. Um, I've done this story before. I did it on Jeff Jance's cooking show, right? And I cook roast chicken, and it's a hinge recipe. It's um, it's stuffed with um, five spice powder, all spice, and chunks of onion. It's then uh, based with a bit of salt, etc., and then throughout the cooking with soy sauce, and it gets very crispy skinned. And the onion inside of the five spice permeates and brings this most wonderful smell out of it. And when I was being interviewed by Jeff Jadge, he said, what do you call this dish? I said, laid a lot chicken. He said, what? I said, laid a lot chicken. He said, what a funny name, why? I said, well, if you're a bachelor and you cook it for a date and it smells so good, you get laid a lot. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't know where to go. (laughs) He didn't know where to go. But it's a very good – it's – have you brought out your own cookbook? Uh, uh, well, some of yeah, some of the um, my recipes, including that one, are in the the Darren Hinch Diet book. I, I put about twenty recipes in there, some soup diet recipes and things like that. But uh, I've, look, I've still got a, a diet book on my bench, uh, a cookbook rather, from the New York Times from nineteen nineteen sixty five. So I, you know, I, I've got a pile of cookbooks. I don't use you, you know from memory now what you like and how to do it, yeah. and I also like. When you're making your own soups, just experiment. I mean, I've, I've been lately bought some um, some curry paste and stuff like that and just throw that into the soup at the last minute, a couple of tablespoons, and just gives a bit of variety to it. Or put you know, put some, some, other, some uh, other sauces and things like that into your soups. Now, I know you were a drummer. Yeah, in your younger days, were you ever an athlete? You know, did you did you run? Did you swim? No, never, did you never play did, sport. Did, I played sport. I, I played football. I played rugby. Uh, played rugby for years. I was a hooker in the, in my local school team. Um, and ironically, when I was uh, first offered a job by our local news editor on the Taranaki Herald to work for the paper, I said, "Oh no," because you'd have to work Saturdays. And on Saturdays, you played footy. Um, I changed my mind very quickly on that and became, instead of playing footy on Saturdays, I was reporting on footy on Saturdays. So, no, I was never that much of an athlete. I used to play, not quite fair, I used to play a lot of tennis. I used to really enjoy playing tennis. And when I owned the farm up at Mount Macedon, we had a tennis court. And God must have been a tennis player because when the fire came through, uh, it missed the tennis court. It took <laughs> it took out took out our train and some other things and the barns and things and the tractor, but the tennis court remained unscathed. Yeah, I, I seem to remember also you being involved in a, a big celebrity cricket match that used to be held at Red Hill. Red Hill, yes, the thrill on Red Hill. Yeah, the Variety Club would play the Lord's Taverners, right, and for, to raise money for charity. I remember two things about the last Red Hill, Thrill on Red Hill. Uh, one was it was a very wet, uh, slippery day and I was wearing runners, not cricket shoes. And while heading for the boundary, I went over the boundary and broke a kid's collarbone. Oh. 
So I said, we, we had to help. We, you had help children not, not create them. You know? <laughs> so that was number one. Number two was it. Um, Typhoon Tyson was a famous Frank Tyson. Frank Tyson. Oh, he's famous. And, yes. and Frank Tyson, the was fastest a, bowler. Yeah. From England in the 1950s. 50s. Wonderful guy. Cricket commentator. Well, he was well. playing for the Lord Taverners, Lord's Taverners. And uh, I got to bat, I think, after Frank had had lunch and a couple of glasses of wine. And so I get it in a bat. And Frank, being decent and me not being a cricketer, bowls me a fairly easy ball, right? And I smacked it for four. <laughs> it's like when. It's, it reminds me of when one of Muhammad Ali's sparring partners would land one on him and he'd knock them out the next punch, right? So I hit it for four. The next ball, Typhoon Tyson goes back about 50 yards, right? Starts racing, rumbling in to bowl to me. You'd always see the steam coming out of his ears, right? And he threw a ball down at me so perfectly... It landed right on my toe, <laughs> right on the toe, in my, in my sneakers, in my runners, you know. Crushed it hurt. You know, it hit me right on the end of my big toe. And I yelped, and as he turned to go back for the next ball, he just went, waved his finger at me like, <laughs> don't be a smart-ass, don't do that again. So. Well, I, I tell you what, when you face a fast bowler bowling at that sort of speed you just have so much awe for the cricketers and yeah. the reactions that they can do i mean um uh, 160 kilometers an hour which is what jeff thompson used to bowl mm. uh, with that big slinging action that he had mm. uh, with no helmets either Derek, no no helmets I, I recall once some years ago piers more piers morgan the journo tv star was out here and he faced a, a fast bowler, an Australian fast bowler. He, he faced Brett Lee. What, what happened? Brett Lee, that's right. And the first three balls hit him in the chest, yeah. and he had bruises like you wouldn't believe. Well, well, he was complaining then that uh, the England cricket team didn't have the guts to face the Australian fast bowlers because <laughs> England was losing very badly in that Ashes series. And so he said, oh, I'm, I could do better than that. So they set up this thing at the nets at the MCG, and uh, they put pads and helmets on and stuff like that. And Brett Lee really bowled fast mm. at him. Now, that was a year before Phil Hughes died. And, and Ian Chappell at the time said, you know, he's crazy because uh, Piers Morgan could have been badly... Hit him in the head and he'd be gone. Injured, yeah. Or on, even they've got a helmet on, hit him in the side of the face or something like that. Do you know, Brett Lee is absolutely famous in India. They huge. love him. He's he's yeah. a huge star there. I mean, yeah. well, Dean Jones was the same who, yeah. who recently died. Uh, you know, because because India's a powerhouse of world cricket, mm. a population of over a billion people, and the only real sport they play is cricket. Mm. Uh, you can see we, how big it is. People went like Paul Barber and me and Darren James went off to India um, uh, doing some, some radio stuff. The number of times people said, "Do you know Dennis Lilly?" Or you know, "Do you know so and so?" They were they were just besotted, and you'd be in some really impoverished little village, and suddenly the kids are there playing cricket. You know, it's a, uh, cricket was that a big thing for you? Growing oh, I, I used up to in, play it, in, but in, no, in New Zealand. I used, to, I used to play it, but no, rugby. Uh, rugby was the thing. Because you know. I, I remember you doing an editorial on the uh, the underarm bowling yeah. by Trevor Chapel. 
mm. uh, in that one-day game, famous one-day game, when Greg Chappell ordered his brother to bowl. Funny, somebody asked me run. last... Oh, Peter Fitzsimons, former football footballer and columnist, wrote to me about something the other, just the other day, saying, oh, Darren, who do you, bar- who do you, who do you follow in the Bledisloe Cup? And I said, well, the Wallabies, of course. I mean, I said, the only time I've ever barracked against Australia in the past 40 years was when Trevor Chappell bowled underarm at his brother's instruction. And I thought it was the most, one of the most low-life things in a sport that's... Well, that wasn't cricket. I mean, in a sport that's meant to be played by with, with some aplomb, I thought it was a disgusting thing. And the New Zealand Prime Minister at the time, Piggy Muldoon. Piggy Muldoon. He, 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 he came up with his wonderful line, it was appropriate that the Australians were wearing yellow. Because oh, they were yeah. wearing the yellow pyjamas. This, this is funny, because I was just writing about... Piggy Muldoon on Saturday night. I had to write a piece for the big smoke on the New Zealand elections was Jacinda Ardern getting elected. And I went back to an old Piggy Muldoon story because uh, Piggy Muldoon and I did not have a good relationship. Um, partly because I'd said that New Zealand's a place where baby Austins go to die and New Zealand's are very well balanced. They have chips on both their shoulders. <laughs> and he responded by saying that Darren, with a name like Darren, he has to be queer, right? And then because I wore a beard, he said, never trust a dog that barks behind a hedge. <laughs> and I found out recently I was in Sydney, or some months ago I was in Sydney, and there's a New Zealand Sav Blanc called Barking Hedge, which must come from that saying. I'd never heard it before. But anyway, Muldoon came to Australia for Chogham one year, and he came on my program. Right? And we start talking quite convivially, you know, have a little bit of chat. And he said, Hang on, am I talking to Hinch? And I said, yes, Mr. Prime Minister. He said, I don't talk to you, and hung up. <laughs> just <laughs> live interview, he just said, am I talking to Hinch? And he said, I don't talk to you, and bingo, he, he just hung up. The New Zealand's had a, a, an interesting history of uh, a more independence, I think, from uh, the United States than Australia has ever mm-hmm. really Oh, yeah, they, they, uh, they banned the, nucle- the, the, the nuclear vessels and things like that. You know, the, uh, the point I was writing at the weekend, uh, making, is that I'm, I'm – I'm th- Jacinda Ardern has done an amazing job and uh, over the three cr- critical things, like she had the Christchurch massacre, the White Island volcano, ex- volcano explosion, and then COVID. But the point I was making is that uh, she has such amazing universal respect and, and, and idolatry. But in New Zealand, it's not always that way. I'm, I'm, I was surprised she won by such a big margin and in her own right because I, I know of New Zealanders who've made mock vomit Motions when her name's been well, mentioned. What's the problem? Because uh, oh, to, well, to 30% of, the, of 25% of them, she's too left wing. Yeah. She's Labour and, and she's left wing Labour. And so to ultra, ultra conservative New Zealand National Party members, she's, she's anathema. Because some of the New Zealanders, the ultra cons, they're, they're more British than the British oh, yeah. themselves. Is there a difference between the North and, and the South Island uh, economically? And yes, there is. The North Island is far more profitable than the South Island. Uh, the South Island is. I think it's the prettiest island. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. I mean, I, I remember when when somebody said to me, and I was criticising New Zealanders before I went on a Jayco visit to New Zealand, which was fantastic, they said, it's the Norway of the South Pacific. And I said, I don't want to live in bloody Norway either, you know. <laughs> but when I went on a trip around the South Island, it is some of the most stunning scenery you'll ever see 
in your life. And the problem for me was I was in Queenstown and decided to impress a younger woman um, to go heli riding in Queenstown. Now, heli, you know what heli riding is? Uh, no idea. Heli riding is where you take a mountain bike and you strap it to the to the the, the, the struts of a helicopter, and you go about three thousand feet up the helicopter. Then you take the bike and you ride the bike down the other side for a couple of hours. Right, and it's easy, so, right? So, so what you're going down a big hill? Or big something? hill, you're going down three. Yeah, yeah, I I fell off three times. The idea is saying you never forget how to ride a bike's bullshit. Uh, I fell off three times. I broke my back. I broke my knee. I broke my ribs. Spent five hours in Dunedin Hospital, where ironically, they had to call my um, transplant doctor, Bob Jones, over here because they wanted to give me um, painkillers. And I said, I don't think I'm allowed them, you know, and I was in real pain. And the weirdest thing was, A, he, he agreed I could have them, but B, he'd done his training. He said, where are you? He said, Dunedin Hospital. He said, that's where I did my training. I said, that's why I'm here, just to see if you're a legitimate doctor or not. <laughs> And I tell you, trying to drive a Jayco with broken ribs and a broken back, I, changing gear was my John Wayne moment. Because a manual, and, and you just uh. well, I would have thought too the bouncing. You know, every time you hit some sort of oh. uh, a pothole or something, mm. you'd, you'd be feeling it. But as you did. Well. well, I had to have my partner. She had to come around and put the handbrake on and off because I literally could not physically exert that much pressure. On, on the body, but seeing this started out talking about health, this is great. We're talking about how how, how damaged I've become with uh, with accidents. Well, uh, Darren, for people listening who who need that bit of mo- motivation to to get off the lounge, mm. to get away from watching sport on television, to actually being physically active themselves, what's look the just, advice you would give look, them? Look, I do I do five k's a day. Sometimes I take a day off. I mean, there's absolutely peeing with rain and, and it's so cold, you know, I don't want to get pneumonia, uh, so I'll take a day off. But I, I usually take Saturday off, but if I had a day off during the week because of the weather, I'll walk on a Saturday. So, But I do 5Ks a day at about 4 or 5 Ks an hour, so it's just around about an hour, an hour and a bit is what I walk every day. Uh, and are you are you listening to anything? Never. No, people say, somebody, I said, walk. You know, I mean, people say to me, do you listen to a podcast or the music? I say, nothing. You walk, you're in your own little world, and you walk. I mean, I have my dad's favourite saying, always, was sometimes I sits and thinks, and sometimes I just sits. And uh, Linda Stoner for my birthday gave me that very quote. I didn't know it came from Winnie the Pooh. Sometimes I sits and thinks, and sometimes I just sits. Well, sometimes I walks and thinks. And sometimes I just walks. Peter Maher from Reham, you remember, remember yeah. Peter? Yeah, he used to say you 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 come up with your best ideas when you when you're walking. Yeah, I, I write intros to to columns while I'm walking. I'm I'm working on a new book, which is um, I've got thirty five thousand words written, and I sometimes an idea will come to me. Say, yeah, I can work on that this afternoon, and it'll it'll, it'll give you a lead. But the idea, I go to the botanic gardens. I don't walk in the regular places where everybody else walks. They've got all these beautiful, almost hidden dirt tracks with jungle all around you, and often you won't see one other person in there. And I just walk. I walk these uh, the same tracks every, and, every day. And what's the reaction you get, Darren, when someone sees you? Go, oh, there's Darren. No, they no, don't know me anymore because I've got my mask on. I've got a, I've got a, uh, a, 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 um, I've got a New York, uh, New York. 
cap on and a mask, and very few people recognise you. You could be anonymous. You can be anonymous, yeah. Pretty much so, yeah. Mr. But the thing is, look, just quickly though, eat sensibly, uh, indulge yourself. And, but if I said, if you eat 20 chips, eat five. Get the taste, but not the volume. Um, and if you if you fall off the wagon one day and you have a big splurge on something, you suddenly have a you have a, a, a violet crumble or something or some ice cream, you you know it'll be. Re- and I weigh myself every day, and I keep a note of it every day. And I have for about ten years. Just one more thing: Are you a sweet tooth? Do you like things? Not like not really. Occasionally, I do. Not 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 massively. No. Occasionally, I'll have some. Ironically, non-dairy ice cream. Here comes the vegan again. There's a thing called Plantitude, I think it's called. It's a non-dairy ice cream. I have a little bit of that, but I have two teaspoons of it rather than a cup, you know. Um, but occasionally, I'll have a. I'll say I've got a. I've got a craving. I'll have half a half a chocolate bar or something. And sugar and tea? Do you have? No, I don't. That? I don't. I, I don't. Wouldn't wouldn't have sugar in my house except for guests, and I wouldn't have salt in my house except for guests. Occasionally, if it needs something, I have needs salt. I'll use one of those mineral salt powders, so chicken salts or something like that. But but salt and uh, and sugar, no, not in my not in my ballywick. Well, I saw. And you if I have a glass of wine, I always water it down. I saw you downstairs uh, earlier, and I thought, "He's he's looking really fit, uh, <laughs> Darren. You, you you've 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 lost quite a bit of weight." Yeah. Well, the thing is that when I was doing when I was doing the Sky, my own show on Sky last year, they sent me down a new jacket from uh, a very expensive Boss jacket from Sydney. That was too tight. Um, now it's too loose. And that, that's a really good feeling. When you when you have to take your belt in one notch or have to f- put a new hole in it, you know, you think, I'm achieving something. You're making progress. You're making progress. Darren Nigel Hinch, it has been <laughs> a pleasure spending uh, this uh, 30, 35 minutes with you again. Yeah. One day I'll cook you some white bait. Oh, 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 I like that too, actually. White bait. <laughs> yeah. You fry that, do you? Yeah, I, no, I, I make yeah, white, bait, white, white bait fritters, uh, yeah. I, ironically, in my column for the big smoke, I said, "You know, you can't take, you can't totally take the pakiha out of Aotearoa." I said, "I might make myself some white bait fritters." Because <laughs> my mum used to get the white bait, you know, the little little fish basically. Yeah, but that, that, so you, the white bait she's got, yeah. is not real white bait. It's like they're like smelt or they're like miniature sardines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real yeah. white bait's about the size of a matchstick. Right. And you only get it from New Zealand. You can get some in China, but the Chinese stuff is crap. Right. But the New Zealand white bait, uh, and you cook it uh, just when, when we couldn't afford it much, you used to put some flour in it. But if you can afford to, you used to put some white bait and egg white, uh, eggs, and you, you leave the white bait smell on it. The white bait, you don't wash them. Yeah, right. So, so they've got oh, that. Well, I'll, I will hold you to that, we'll Mr. Do it. Hinch.